sermon series we're calling Faith at Work. So we studied this letter of James and all of its rich encouragement to get to see what our faith looks like when it's at work, when it's glorifying God and enduring hardship. I've titled this morning's sermon, Gospel Exaltation and Humiliation. And today I want to preach on verse 9 through 11. If you look at it with me, James chapter 1, 9 through 11. It says this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So much good stuff here in just two verses. The joy to get to preach God's holy word this morning. Look with me at this opening part of verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. We know from verse 1, just a few verses above, that James is writing to his blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ, those whom God has saved by the blood of Christ and set free. And we know that they're in a hard season because they are dispersed. They've been dispersed from, from their homes and scattered. They're being persecuted. Many of them likely ripped from homes and, 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 and their once prized possessions and even loved ones. So, so this would surely be a contributing reason why some are in a lowly state. As he addresses, let the lowly brother their circumstances are a burden. They're a struggle. You could say that they're circumstantially low. And maybe you can relate to this lately for you. Maybe you this morning are not in a hard season or are not circumstantially low. But you do know what that kind of season feels like as most surely you've been through that in the past to have life just not working right with your finances with with your health maybe your living situation maybe your relationships your job your family so whether you're in this kind of season right now and are very much resonating with what i'm saying or you're not know that you likely surely will be. And even still, you likely know people who you love, who are close to you, who are. And so today, this sermon has so much poignant application to us right here, right now. I pray the counsel that James gives is a great blessing to you this morning. And what is his counsel? He says, for those in a lowly place, he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And right away, that just feels odd, doesn't it? That I'm circumstantially low and things are just not going right. And and I'm being told to boast. It's odd because typically when you're low, that doesn't equal boasting. The Greek word here for boast means to glory. To rejoice, to boast. And again, it feels odd because 
It just doesn't seem to add up unless there's something else that would give someone a foundation for rejoicing despite their circumstances. If you were to run up to someone that maybe you knew and and found out that they were homeless, found out that they had terminal cancer as well, and that their family had rejected them. It just feels mean to look at them and go, just rejoice, right? (laughs) Really? And so is James trying to be mean here? Is he trying to be insensitive? But but what, what if you knew something about that person? in the midst of their homelessness, terminal cancer, and being rejected by their their family? What if you knew that they were the possessor of a king's inheritance? What if you knew that they were on a list of people guaranteed to receive a new body that would never break down? And while they were rejected from their blood family, they were now a part of a much bigger family who loved them deeply and indefinitely through the means of adoption. This is the reality that that James knows his saved brethren have in Christ. And therefore, he's loving them by reminding them and imploring them to put their faith to work by testifying the good news of the gospel, even in their lowly state. The good news for the circumstantially low Christian is that those hard times are not your end. And there's something beyond those circumstances. There's something at work in the midst of those circumstances. Something so good, it's worth rejoicing in, celebrating even. So James calls this our exaltation. He says, boast in your exaltation. And so how is a lowly person exalted? only by the perfect work of Christ in their life. James is reminding his lowly brothers and sisters in Christ to not live their lives based on their temporary status via their circumstances, but instead to live their lives based on their eternal status, their spiritual status via Christ. This means the lowly person who is in Christ may be experiencing worldly or temporary physical humiliation, persecution, marginalization, but he or she is exalted in God's kingdom and his forever economy. You can look at it like this, considering the teachings of Christ himself. That that person may be hungry, 
but he has the bread of life. He may be thirsty, but he has the living water. He may have nowhere to lay his head, but he has a room being prepared for him by Jesus himself in God's house forever. He may be beaten and thrown out, but is healed and secured in God's eternal kingdom. Amen? These are the truths preached by Christ himself, what he brings. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's circumstantially low, is it not? In the most extreme way. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Peter says to his Christian family who are, as he refers to them in the opening parts of chapter 1 of his letter, elect exiles. He, refers, he says to them this, 1 Peter 1, 3-6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials." So Jesus is constantly saying this and the apostles are constantly saying that that there's a reality to our suffering, to our persecution, to the trials we will face and yet there is a joy in who we are in Christ. There is a living hope. It's an active hope in what Jesus has made possible for us through his blood. And so James is saying, boast in your exaltation. <laughs> Being exalted in Christ. Look how he has lifted you up and exalted you. Look at what you are included in. See your status, your, your kingdom status. And glory in this thing. Rejoice in it. This is what Jesus means in his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 3 through 6, for just a, a piece of it. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Yeah, this life can be a wreck. 
it can be a war. It can be really hard. It can be really unfair and unjust. The depths of pain and loss and suffering can be truly all-encompassing. But in the midst of all of it can be a true and lasting reason for rejoicing, for glory, because of Jesus, because of victory and salvation and adoption in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is what faith at work looks like. This is the testimony of the elect exile, of the persecuted Christian, to truly rejoice and glory and boast in our exaltation in Christ despite our lowly state, our lowly temporary state. Christian, do you do this? Do you exalt in Christ when your life is in a low place, when your temporary reality is low? If not, you're missing one of the sweetest ways God blesses us in gospel renewal. For those of you feeling like, man, pastor, this is so pie in the sky. Like, there's no, no one really does this. I want to just remind you, one, I could go to a thousand places in Scripture where God blesses us with testimony upon testimony. But one particular testimony really sticks out to me. It's found in Acts chapter 5, 40 through 42. It's very brief, and I'll just give you the, the crescendo. I'll just give you the finish of it. The apostles were, were called back before this governing board, and it says they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. And they left the presence of the council, it says, rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus they they were beaten Some of you know, sadly, what it's like to truly be beaten. And some of you have no idea. I mean, that's a low circumstance, is it not? And as they're still bleeding and bruised, they're still trying to get the feeling back in their cramped muscles and sore backs as they hobble out of the city, they're in a state of rejoicing. Why? Because it was their joy to suffer dishonor, a temporary low circumstance and hardship for the exalted name of their Lord. Their eyes and their hearts and their words were not fixed on their struggle, but on their God. 
and on their reality that they belong to the almighty God and are, are getting to speak his gospel to a world that is lost in darkness and to many who will turn from allegiance and enslavement to that darkness to trust in Jesus and serve him the rest of their days and forever. Amen? I mean, that, that's what they're getting to do. That's what we get to do when we are laboring through ongoing seasons of poverty or, or, or health problems or, or relationship terror. We get to continue to be a vehicle of the, of the name of Christ and be used by him. And we are secure in him. So brother, Christian brother, Christian sister, I, I give you what James gave to them. If you're in a lowly place lately, if you've forgotten who you are in Christ, how absolutely marvelous it is to be his. If you've been focusing more on what you don't have in the moment than compared to what you have in Christ now and forever, And boast in your exaltation in Christ. Glory in it. Glory in your God-given new birth. Rejoice in that you belong to Jesus and nothing can take you from his almighty grip and everlasting victory. This is not just good feelings. It is a true lifestyle of faith at work. A true heartbeat that causes you to think and feel and do life differently. To rejoice after a beating and to continually continue to do what the world forbid you to do, knowing Christ will do his work in and through you. Now, there's another kind of Christian that James wants to address here. So he continues in verse 10. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. So James has said, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So not a fixation or, or trying to get their happiness to muster up a little joy out of all their bad circumstances, but to, to glory and to rejoice in their exaltation in Christ. And he says, the rich, let the rich brother boast in his humiliation. Humiliation is the act of being made low. To be reduced to a state lower than at least you thought you were in. And again, without a right understanding of the gospel, this makes no sense. <laughs> because a rich or well-off person, a successful or popular person, does not feel low. They feel important. They feel accomplished. There's an arrogance and a haughtiness 
that accomplished people feel if left alone to their fleshly feelings to respond to it. So why would wealthy or successful at life Christians boast in being made low? Because by God's grace, just like we sang earlier with blind Bartimaeus, God saving him, in that beautiful parable, it's way bigger than him seeing clouds, but him seeing God and being saved. The blessing it is when God gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's a two-way blessing in that I finally get to rightly see the reality of my sin and the lostness of my idolatry. And I get to see the beauty of God and, the, and his worthiness of all of my life. Why would the wealthy or successful in life Christians boast in being made low? Because they've seen that with, with God's grace, they've seen that their wealth and success and abilities are not their prize. Nor is it their true identity as it once was. They've been made low in that the person who is successful and wealthy, who is trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, has seen who they are in a new light because of the gospel. And this is good news to them. Because they see God for all that He is and all that He's due and all of His glory and all of His holiness. And they finally see who they are in their sin before that holy God. And that instead of being worthy of commendation and praise, they're worthy because of their sin of condemnation and judgment and wrath. They see how short they fall and how little they are in the shadow of the Most High God. And it's only when we see ourselves here that we rejoice or glory at this gospel grace that set us free. That we rejoice in the humiliation that the gospel brings to my flesh. It's a good thing. They're blessed view of humiliation that they now see is not only do they see it, but they they savor it. They're utterly thankful to get to see through the facade of their wealth and success for it's temporary and it does not ultimately do anything for them. They get it What Jesus said, it meant to be his follower. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, here's what it looks like to follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So so, so imagine Jesus saying this to a very successful, very rich, popular, beautiful person. What did he just say? He said, deny yourself. Die to yourself. 
look to the torturous hill of Calvary, consider the cross, pick yours up, and follow me. Do you see how that person is being made low in all the right ways? Denying himself, dying to himself, losing his life. Verse 25, Jesus continues, what would it, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? clings to that idolatry and those temporary treasures unto damnation. Instead, joyfully humiliate that. Be humbled in that. See there's no hope in that. There's no joy, lasting joy in it. See the beauty of the gospel. Commit yourself to me who is God, who is eternal. And no life, no joy, no lasting satisfaction. Know it and glory in it and boast in it. The rich don't have to give up being rich to be saved. It's bigger than that. (laughs) They have to give up their lives to be saved. And in that, I don't mean that there's a work to be done to earn salvation. We bring nothing. We bring nothing, not one thing. I believe the scriptures teach even your faith is a gift from God. You have nothing to boast in when it comes to your salvation before God. But what it means to truly be saved according to Jesus is you die to your flesh, you die to yourself, you you give it all, it all belongs to him. And it is your joy to do so. It is your joy to be his. They have to give up all their lives to Jesus and therefore all their glory and all their pride and all their accomplishment before that that final moment of all of the crescendo of your life, all that stuff to earn you anything is worthless. It's rightly humiliated, not begrudgingly, but joyfully. I love Paul's encouragement to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The reason why gospel humility or gospel humiliation and what this means for us to to be rightly to see our state and our desperation for Jesus and to count that as good news The reason why it's such a blessing for a well-off man is because he sees in that that 
he was damned to sink to the bottom of the ocean with all of his riches until he was saved by Christ. reason why gospel humility and gospel humiliation is such a blessing to a beautiful woman is because she sees that she was damned to be rejected by the ultimate judge as her beauty gained her nothing before him in his judgment seat but in Christ alone is she saved and brought in as dearly beloved amen This is how a very prominent, very successful Pharisee could come to a place to say, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Philippians 3.8 Paul loves his humiliation, his being made low. He loves that he sees through the facade of his lostness in his success and sees who he is before God, and sees what God has done in his grace to save him, and and how he glories and rejoices and boasts in that reality now. James is saying, rejoice, you rich man. You beautiful woman, you popular kid, you successful businessman. You accomplished artist, you skilled worker, you effective teacher, you a student. Rejoice in being made low in the truth of the gospel. Rejoice for eyes to see who you are in your sin before a holy God and to see and savor the gospel of Jesus as the only thing that can set you free. It's truly worth boasting in and celebrating and rejoicing in. Why? Because Christ is everything. Because Christ is the greatest thing. And James isn't done there. He goes on to remind them that those things that they are successful in are momentary. They're temporary. They, they could all be gone tomorrow. They could all be gone in 10 minutes. He emphasizes this in the second part of verse 10 and into 11. Look with me. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. It's that unavoidable statistic that I've mentioned before that one out of one people will die physically. These worldly riches and success in the physical life has the same inevitable end as the flower in the grass. The grass flowers come and they go. They're not enduring. They're seasonal. They're momentary. He builds on this in verse 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers the grass. Its flower falls. Its beauty perishes 
so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. In the midst of them. Have you found yourself, Christian, being in this place where you're like, man, I really love God. I'm really thankful for the gospel. But, but I, really, I really hope that I get to get married or, or that I get to finish this degree or, or that I get to watch my baby walk down the aisle or I get to hold a grandbaby or I get to finally tickle my toes in the sands of Tahiti or whatever, whatever that thing is for you. And we, and we kind of gently hold God in contempt that if he was a really good God, he'd let us do that. And yet he owes you and I nothing. And that we will fade away in the midst of our pursuits. Can I encourage you to, can I lovingly encourage you to hold all of that looser? And, and to grab hold of a focus that says, God, you've given me today. Let me enjoy you and be a good steward of today. And if you give me tomorrow, then so be it. And that my hope and my joy would be in him and not in what does she look like in her wedding dress. And I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm not saying that that stuff's not healthy and good, but I'm just saying, and you know what I'm getting at, we can really, deep down inside, we can really have a big old expectation on some of that stuff. And it's just, can we just be reminded by Scripture again and again that you just might not last through the end of the sermon? I'm waiting for it to happen to one of you. I have good friends who literally, people have not lasted through the sermon, not because they were that bad, but just because it was God's time. And that to the youngest person in the room, that could be a reality and that God's not a better God or, or, or more of a good God because he doesn't cause that. He doesn't owe us anything. Our lives are his in every way. And so can we see rightly the temporariness and the purpose God has us in the here and now for and get way more serious about the eternal for those of you who, who are just constantly quick to kind of shirk it and go, I'll do business with this stuff later. This warning and imagery is used all throughout Scripture. This is not new to James. He didn't come up with this. Uh, Isaiah 46 through 8, all flesh is grass. It is beauty. Its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and when the breath of, of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Uh, other places like Psalm 103, 15 through 19. For as man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone. Its place knows it no more, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those whom fear him and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments the lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all the 
temporary church will fade away. And, and what you have to see today is that that temporary includes anything in creation. And, and look, look at me real quick, all of you. It includes the things that you prize the most in creation. The loved one nearest you right now. We have to see it biblically, see it rightly. Heed it. And did you notice in those two texts, just two that I pulled to give an example, notice what will last forever. The word of the Lord will last forever in Isaiah 40 and in Psalm 103. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. That we who fear him, we who have faith in him, we who know him will last forever with him. Joy, glory in him forever. But, but this is the struggle of our flesh, church. Even in Christ, you are at war with your flesh, according to Galatians 5. And here it is. Your flesh wants it now. It wants it now. What will make you happy in the moment? That's what your flesh wants. Your flesh doesn't want discipline. It doesn't want to wait. It doesn't want to do it right. It doesn't want to honor God. It wants it now. And it doesn't matter sometimes what it will cost or what you'll lose. And so I just ask you gently to do some inventory. We're not going to have you stand up and, and pile up around the room. When was the last time you ate something or, or bought something or, or did something or said something you shouldn't have, but you just had to have it? This is your flesh. This is the lie of the devil saying to Adam and Eve, forget what he said. Have it now. Have it your way. Whose slogan is that? Have it your way? Burger King? Stole that from Satan, man. I'm totally kidding. It's not in my notes. Just sorry. I'm sorry. Don't wait. Don't be content. Don't, don't be satisfied in God. No, no, no. While Adam failed miserably, in each of us since, praise God that Jesus did not. Amen? Because only in his perfection do we stand in righteousness before holy God. And in our flesh it is so easy to trust in or lean on temporary things for our joy or for our identity. So James is giving loving attention to this faulty practice and failed foundation to say, rejoice not in these things, but in Christ. Rejoice in your exaltation and humiliation that is a result of the gospel. So, so church, see that when tempted with that stuff, it's not just a logical evaluation. 
Many times the discipline, many times what obeys God, many times what's honorable to him is about your testimony. It's about preaching the gospel back to yourself to overcome it. It's not about the thing. It's not about the donut. It's not about the activity. But we justify the donut or the activity or whatever the thing may be because in my head it all works out and so it's fine. Psalm 49, 16 through 20. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich. When the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go down to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. All the treasures we get so caught up in. You can take none of it with you. It's only momentary. So to be consumed and led and dictated and and built on beauty or money or family or skills or status is to build your house on the sand. It's not to say that any of those things necessarily are bad, that beauty or money or family or skills or status is bad in and of itself, but to build your life on it, to hope in it, is to build your house on the sand. What James is emphasizing is the same teaching Jesus gave time and time again. Turn with me to to Matthew 7. I want to give you a quick tour of emphasis of Jesus' words himself in his teaching in Matthew 6 and 7. Let's start with Matthew 7, 26 through 27. Jesus says, And everyone who hears these words of mine, we'll come back to what that refers to in a moment, and does not do them, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell. And great was the fall of it. Everyone who hears these words of mine, what is that reference? What what words? Well, let me just show you a few of the words of the sermon that Jesus just gave. Okay? Look, Look up the text with me. We were just in 726. Look at 713 and 14. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I love this passage. It will preach for days. I can't do that right now. But I'll say this. In synopsis, Jesus is saying that the broad way that way that, that our flesh loves and longs for, it leads to incredible narrowness. 
it leads to a, a prison cell like we've never dreamed about. And yet the narrow way leads to incredible spaciousness that we've never dreamed about. It's so amazing. So what superficially looks incredibly narrow is the thing that, lo- that leads to something that's incredibly vast. Why is the, the road to eternal destruction so wide? Well, you could say because what Jesus said, that there's a lot of people on it. But I don't think that's the point. I think it's wide because of all the stuff that you're trying to pack with you to go there. That you're clinging to. It's truly an anchor that takes you to the pit. And Jesus is reminding us here, all we need is him. For those in the room who are not saved, if you have not repented of your sin and trusted your entire life to Jesus, I pray God gives you ears to hear that all you need is him. Do you see what Jesus is emphasizing? Look up further, Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. You might have to turn the page to get to that one. This is, oh, this is the words that he's talking about. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In God's word, we discover a God who created us to be satisfied, to experience great joy and delight. But in our sin, we try to find that delight and satisfaction in the creation of God instead of in the creator himself. 2 Timothy 3, 4, Paul warns in the last days, men would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And surely we're in those days, right? I mean, we just we sell out for the stupidest stuff, and we and we we just miss what what it truly says about our testimony and our allegiance. Job twenty two twenty five: The Almighty Himself will be your treasure, will be your precious silver. That that's the point that that He would be the source of our joy and satisfaction. The resounding truth throughout Scripture again and again is is to abandon the two-bit, low-yield, short-term, never-satisfying, life-destroying, God-belittling treasures of the world and replace them in your heart of hearts with the lasting, satisfying, amazing pleasure found in God Almighty Himself. And Jesus says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Further, he will hate one or love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus will will often say so to so many well-off how how easy it is for them to reject God and choose their things instead. 
Remember the story about a camel going through the eye of a needle? So lured by success, by fame, by man-made accolades, by temporary pleasures, meals, vacations, cars, whatever, they will throw away good God-honoring discipline to have it now. And the beauty of the gospel, the glory of God is not enough for them. And so let me just ask you again, just be honest. How have you done this lately? You sold out because you just had to have it now. You had to have it your way. Beloved, what do you, what, see what you're flirting with in these moments is bigger than just that passing thing. It's declaring the great commitment and affections of your heart. No one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Is there a way to be rich and be utterly faithful to God? Absolutely. And James is helping us see it. You boast your glory and your humiliation and your identity in Christ again and again and again and again and again. And you never let it become your prize, the money, the fame, the, the raise. You never let it become your glory. Don't build your life on what's temporary. Build it on the eternal. The, the temporary fades. The flower falls. It will not endure You won't even get through the season. Instead, build it on me, he says. Hope in me, trust in me, boast in me. And this is what James is highlighting for us. Christian, you must believe this and live it out every day. This is your faith at work. It's not enough to just believe this today and then throw it away tomorrow. For the lowly, your exaltation is not your momentary physical life, but is Christ. And for the wealthy, the strong, the accomplished, the popular, your God-given humiliation means your joy and your value doesn't come in your temporary stuff or status, but in the Lord. So you learn to give it away, and you learn to remain disciplined and be satisfied in Christ. Church, hear this, hear this, hear this. Neither your plenty or your lack in this life is the foundation of your identity. But Christ is. In Christ and his glory and his abundance of blessing and love, the poor brother looses his grip and looses his sight of his poverty. And the rich brother looses his grip and looses his sight of his wealth for Christ. So let me ask you this morning, just again, make it personal. Do this work. Don't, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. Apply it. Don't, don't apply it over a double-double. Apply it now. What do you boast in? What do you What do you rejoice in? What do you glory in? 
Is it temporary things? Things that will not last? Or is it Christ who is forever? Jeremiah 9, 23-24, thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Amen? I love Paul's heart, and I pray it's your heart this morning. I pray it's your practice and your reminder to each other as you walk this week. Galatians 6.14 But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. You meditate on that passage this week, Galatians 6.14. This is the gospel. This is the work of Christ. The work of Christ is not just to pay for your sin. That is huge. (laughs) Okay? Not making light of that. But it's more than that. It is the power to be crucified from the world from the things we once cling to for our joy and our identity. In success, I want to be humbled by the gospel. In poverty, I want to be exalted in Christ's victory. Do you see how central Jesus is to all this? Do you see how your faith is at work in these things? If in your poverty you are downtrodden, if in your success you are joyful only in what you've gained in the moment, you miss an opportunity to preach the gospel to the world and to yourself and to your family, your kids. Beloved, those that God's putting in your path. May your faith be at work in gospel exaltation and humiliation. May God be glorified and may many more be saved. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time together in your holy word. What a privilege it is to have your written, inspired, and holy word to teach us to mold us, to shape us, to grow us. That the mystery has become clear. That the good news has truly become good news to us because we no longer in our sin reject it. We, we embrace it. We, we, we die to ourselves to live it out. And, and, and all that's only possible because of Christ, because Christ died for us. And so we proclaim this wondrous mystery. We, we proclaim this good news, not just to our hearts this morning, that true repentance and growth and maturity would happen, but to each other and to a watching world. And that this day would be all that you have purposed for it. 
you be glorified and be made much of. And that you would mobilize us with a new affection. And so that meal that's coming today or that outing or that time this week that's planned would be more than just our consumption or participation in it, but it would be an opportunity to glorify your name. It would be an opportunity to, to speak the name of Christ to someone, to serve someone else. And maybe even ideally someone who doesn't deserve it. The gospel is that much more on display. Father, hear us as we worship. Hear us as we contemplate these things in prayer and respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.